Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To put Tom Hanks back on the island? Yeah, yeah, wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, oh, oh yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Double Feature Versus. I am Anthony. I'm Brad. And today we got a fun one. We got a we got a we got a nice kicking it old school to new school kind of one here. I feel like this is a great parallel episode where sometimes it comes off as eh, of course they would do those two, but I feel like this works within the context of everything dealing with time loops. We got um, 1993 Harold Ramis's Groundhog Day versus uh, 2020's uh, Max uh, Barbacow's Palm Springs. But um, before we hop into this, Brad, how you been doing? I've been doing good. Especially when I love it when we do an episode where it's two good movies instead of the usual episode of two bad movies. You mean a usual episode where we roll the dice like, okay, I hope I hope this is good. Right. He recommended this or Brad recommended this. I hope this is good. Yeah, with this one, we were definitely playing it safe with this episode, but it's definitely a comparison that uh, is a good one to make. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, I did something fun today, man. I I never thought I was one of these people, but to conserve space, I don't think I'm a minimalist. I ain't gonna go that far. But I've uh, I decided to um, I started out with my DVDs. I decided to take my DVDs out of their cases, put them into like this large DVD binder, and I threw the cases away. Oh, so you're doing the what was it? That was a huge trend in like the nineties to have that CD binder of like yeah. all your uh, music, games, movies, everything that you would be able to throw underneath the seat in the car to bring places. It's convenient. It's just convenient to clear up space. Cause I don't know if you know my hookup, but like in my like apartment that I share with my wife, she gave me this one coat closet to put all my movies, vinyls. <laughs> and only thing that's not in there is my books. She says, okay, you can have all your stuff, but you're going to put it in this small two-by-two storage space. I'm like, wow. Thanks, hon. Uh, you so don't have I, to throw it away. You just have to put it so nobody can ever find it. No one can see it when we have guests over. That's what it is. Yeah. She, she used to hate my bookcase full of movies. It, it what, what looked beautiful to me looked uh, crowdy and um, off-kilter to her. But today, you know, I kind of one-upped her a bit and said, hey, now I got a DVD binder. She says, oh, man, I love that you're, uh, creating, uh, you're creating space in that closet. I said, yeah, so I can buy more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and let me guess, the DVD binder has to stay in the closet as well. <laughs> oh, you, you know it, man. Yeah. You know it. I, I didn't even ask. I, I assumed. I didn't even ask. I just left it in there. But uh, all jokes aside, I think some Blu-rays I'm going to keep with their cases because, you know, when you get like Criterion Collection Blu-rays, they got like great designs on them. Oh, yeah. And stuff like that. Yeah. But certain Blu-rays that are like factory made, I think I'm just going to throw them out, man, because I guess growing up, I used to love the DVD. and I love the Blu-ray cases because they're so sleek and small and thin. 
Um, the DVD cases over time, they just they're just unnecessarily bulky. Yeah, I gotta agree. Uh, especially when it came to like the game cases for like the GameCube and the PS2 cases and everything before they slimmed them yeah. down. It, it just it, they're huge. They are like I love looking like and it was great going at the rate they went with the PS1 games. It just had that small little thing, uh, that small little square, the little container. jewel case. Yeah, that was great. And, uh, you know, when they upgraded to PS2, it was cool. But then PS3 slimmed it back down a little bit. And it was like, yeah, PS2 is looking a little too bulky now. Yeah. Well, it's kind of nice to get rid of some of that stuff. For me, I got to keep the cases. It just, I think it looks amazing on a bookshelf, like you said. You know, so yeah. I don't have a reason to get rid of them yet. <laughs> well, I mean, let me let me run game for a second. I've really been getting back into my vinyls. So there's been a thing with my wife saying, like, there's no more space in that closet for vinyls when clearly there is space. So I said, okay, let me get rid of one whole bin of movies. So now she can't say anything. <laughs> and now I'm going to double up on the vinyls now just to torture. No, <laughs> no. but, you know, um, yeah, I, I feel like it, it looks well. Um, I'm, 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 uh, I'm content with it. You know, it's a, I got one of those huge 400 uh, um, spaces type of ones. And it uh, looks nice. You can carry it like a suitcase. Yeah, I've seen those ones. I still have one of those, like, leather probably holds, like, 150 CDs of, like, mm-hmm. old, like, computer kind of discs and stuff like that. Floppy disk? No, not floppy disks. Like, I mean, oh. like, old PC games and stuff like that. Like, uh, Star Wars Battlefront, like, the first one and stuff like that is in there. Uh, I have some, like, Dreamcast games in there and stuff like that that, you know, I don't have a console for anymore. They kind of just went into the binder. <laughs> Gotcha, gotcha. I understand. All right, man. Um, chronological this time around. I guess um, it makes sense. Yeah, chronological this time. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. All right. Uh, so we got 1993 Groundhog Day. So this is a film that was like, I believe, the final collaboration between um, director Harold Ramis and uh, Bill Murray because uh, they they kind of clashed a lot on this movie. Um, but anyway, Bill Murray plays phil connors he's a a television weatherman uh you know he's a little cynical a little smarmy um he has to go to uh pentusky pennsylvania to cover the groundhog day event you know where groundhog phil comes out of his uh uh what was it a cave or uh he comes out of like the podium of where he's kind of like it's kind of like a little box that's on this stage where they play the whole kind of thing where they uh, talk to him and see what he says if he saw a shadow or not and then they put him back in the box right so if he sees a shadow winter continues for a little more and if, if he doesn't winter uh, uh, spring is, is here wrap. spring is here okay yep. yeah so he covers this event uh, on his way back to his hotel there's a little bit of a blizzard so it's kind of like a delay in traffic uh, takes a shower go to, goes to sleep Wakes up, day starts all over again. Rinse and repeat until he tries to figure out what what does he need to do to get out of this time loop. Like what what? Well, I think okay. that's one of the magic things of this movie is he tries to find a way to get out of it, and then he kind of just gives up and tries to like be a better person because he's already stuck in this time loop. So multiple times yeah. he tries to 
do uh just learn different skills uh eventually he like realizes that he doesn't have consequences with his actions because time resets at 6 a.m the next day so it doesn't matter what he does so he starts like stealing things he starts creating chaos and everything like that and then he just realizes it's not doing anything for him he uh tries killing himself multiple times through multiple different ways and eventually yeah. just kind of comes to terms with this is his life and, you know, he, he can go around and actually try and help people. And I think that's where the movie really takes a good turn. I feel like that's where it takes a good turn um, theme-wise. Um, when, so the, the thing about this comedy, and we're going to talk about this in contrast to Palm Springs, but one thing I noticed about late 80s, early 90s comedies, a lot of them great or not, they kind of take their time to get to the point. Like, this film had a lot of expositionary uh, uh, setting the stage in, in his first couple of minutes. It's like, we're mm-hmm. introduced to him as a weatherman. We see he's a little he's a little smug, you know, a little glum. We, you know, we, we're seeing this. He, uh, he he sees Annie McDowell, who of, who, of course, is the love interest. You know, she's beautiful. Um, so she's, she's kind of like... You know, he's kind of a little interested in her when she see when he sees her, and she's a little goofy with the whole green screen. We we're introduced to Chris Elliott, who's funny as the cam, who's hilarious as the cameraman, and we got a lot. You know, got a little establishing shots, him going to Pennsylvania, and I'm looking at this and I'm like, okay, I get this character. Let's kind of speed up with some not some gags, but a little bit of humor because this is coming off very drama like. Yeah, you know. When 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 Danny Rubin, who uh, co-wrote the screenplay with Harold Ramis, when he first had this as a spec script, it was a drama, you know, and it was when it came to Harold Ramis that he kind of like built, he punched up the comedy with it a little bit, you know, he enhanced the comedy. So you can kind of see that when the film starts off, like, okay, this kind of starts off like a, kind of like a drama, you know, and um and when and when the day first starts starting over, it kind of becomes an existentialist comedy because uh, Bill Murray who of course we know is a funny guy he's he he kind of plays the straight man of his own uh um his, his own, own universe ins- more or his less his own insane his own insane circumstances you know what i mean he's an ordinary guy thrown in an extraordinary situation and he plays the straight man to his own circumstances so well you know like um i love the scene when they're in the car uh, it's, it's one of the nights where he's in the car with uh, these two fellows from the bar and, uh, you know, he's driving on the train tracks. He says, like, your whole life, you're told not to do this, not to do that. Oh, don't drive on the train tracks. And he drives around. He crashes. Oh, I, I love that one of the passengers in that car, too, goes, um, actually, I kind of agree with that one. <laughs> right. And then the police are kind of, like, uh, waving their horn. And the other passenger was like, hey, we're trying to have a conversation here. <laughs> you know, and um, then they crash. And he... He treats the officer like a drive through window. Like at this point, he's just like, you know what? If this is a time loop, I'm just going to do what I want, do what I can. You know, he uh, he takes a few girls out on dates. Uh, the hilarious one is when he keeps calling the woman by the um, by any McDowell character's name uh, when, they're, when they're making out. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that was with is, Nancy. I think it was right. Yeah, I believe Nancy uh, is the uh, is 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 the character's name, and Rita is the woman played by Andy McDowell. Yeah, and uh, he's he kept saying, "Oh, Rita," said Nancy. 
who cares? Yeah. You know, like... Who's Rita? Uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> right. I love um, you. Marry me. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, it's during this time that the comedy really hits me. Like, of course, you got Stephen uh, Tobolowski's character, Ned Ryerson, who is just a perfect, obnoxious, like, like one one scene character. I love how he comes back off and off again, like, Phil? Phil! You know, like, um, you know, he's just he's just an annoying guy from your past that you probably forgot or didn't even know existed. But the the actor plays that character so well. But oh, yeah. I love how as the film progresses and he kind of gives up and doesn't know how to get out of this. You know, like you said, he t- becomes a good person. And, you know, it's kind of like this other movie he was in called Scrooge, like which is about, you know, a Christmas carol um, where he goes around and just helps people knowing what went wrong that day. Like this one kid falls from the tree. He, he, he arrives in time to save him. Like, what do you say? What do you say? You never thank me every time I do this. I save you every day and you never say thanks. Right. He fixes a, he fixes a flat tire. One of the men who um, hosted the groundhog event, he, um, he saves him from choking. You know, he just goes around doing these nice things for people that could have, taking a bad turn that day um and before we I, one this is one scene i love because i like how he's going through the different stages of i don't want to say grief but he's I, is it grief he's, it, he's going th- the seven Go stages ahead. of grief are represented in this movie uh okay. because he is in denial about everything going on uh he gets angry at everything around him uh, I'm trying to remember what all the stages are, but he does go through all of them leading up to acceptance of this is his life now. Yeah. Um, and I love how at one point he's just, he's just in the lowest of the low and he's just like, what a joke. We're all gathered here around once a year for a rat. Yeah. He comes out and if he sees his shoulder is, is more winner. If not, it's not, you know? And I love how when he finally starts to turn around he innovates himself a little bit. Like, I mean, throughout all this, he's still trying to get with um, Annie McDowell's character, Rita. And, she, you know, she doesn't give him a chance, you know, because it's, it's a one it's one day to her. She's not reliving it over and over. It's just different. He's the only one reliving it all. And, you know, she smacks him at the end of every night because, you know, he, uh, you know, in, insulted her and stuff like that. So he has to earn her love, too. Um, he has he has to earn his own like of himself. Because at some point he says, like, he says, like, I don't even like myself, you know, like, yeah, what did he say? You remember it it was I want to say that it was her character going, you know, I don't really like you that way. And he just went, I don't even like myself, you know, so what's the big deal? And he learns to like himself. You know, he gives himself piano. He learns to love himself. Really. He gives himself piano lessons. He does good things. He feels good about it. Well, it's mostly after it was the homeless man that he kept running into and everything. Yeah. And finding, trying to like, uh, spend some time with him and everything like that. Cause he just starts spending time with everybody in this time loop. And he gets to that old man and he realizes he dies at the end of the night and he tries to stop it from happening by trying multiple things. And it just does not work every time. Uh, he continues to die of just old age. You know, there's no real cause to it. It's just he was old. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, that was um that was a pretty touching moment too. I think that's where the film's drama kind of s- s- sweeps in because yeah. there's still comedy. It's still a comedy, but it it slowly becomes uh, a dramedy. It, it sneaks it sneaks up as a dramedy as the film progresses, and I like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's also like the implication of how long he's been uh, stuck in this time loop because I know yeah. that people have done like the calculations and tried to figure out like how long it would take him to learn piano at that level how long it would have taken him to you know do every kind of test and memorize the exact route that he was taking uh to memorize where everybody's from the facts about them to remember just every detail about that day in that town and I think the consensus is right now it, he lived through that singular day for thirty four years. This this is this is a Reddit theory. Uh, this isn't even a Reddit theory. This is pre Reddit, where people went through and they calculated exactly mm-hmm. how long it takes you to like learn these things, how to learn a pattern of people and memorize certain facts and everything like that. Because uh, you see him constantly, like, going through the same day with uh, Rita, trying to, mm-hmm. like, perfect it and learning a little bit each way and everything. So, <laughs> basically, they use that to kind of determine. He also makes, like, a comment about, like, seeing a movie a hundred times now. Um, there's the card trick that he's doing with, I think, Rita, actually. Uh, throwing the cards in a hat and he's just like yeah it actually doesn't take that long it's just about like four to five hours a day every day for about three or four months and you'll get a down shot each and every time and you see him like throwing every card it's going directly into the hat so there's little nods to how long he's kind of been here I love how there's that one scene where he's talking to Rita and right before she smacks him uh, she says like I don't even like that stuff I like this he says, oh, he kind of makes a note to himself, like, okay, like she, she likes this, she likes this. Yeah. What are no you white chocolate, no fudge. Right. He's like, what are you doing? T- calling my friends about me? He's like, no, no, I'm not. Um, so in the end, it, you know, it goes without saying, uh, after he learns to love himself, be good, you know, be selfless, uh, time continues on. It, no more restarts. And, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's in bed with Rita and... You know, he's a new man. He's no longer smug or cynical. You know, he kind of, he even loves the town. He falls in love with the town and wants to stay there and live there. Well, by this point, he knows everything about every person that lives there. You know, that's been his life for uh, 30 plus years. Assuming that, you know, it's somewhat accurate to how long it would take him to be able to learn everything in that town and what we see him capable of. That's assuming that he didn't learn other skills that aren't shown, you know, in the movie and everything. Yeah, I, you know, you know, there was a young Michael Shannon in this, right? At first, I I didn't know if it was him, but it actually was him. The, you know, the the married couple <laughs> where the the young wife was kind of like iffy about getting married. Oh and, yeah, the one that they he gave like WWE tickets to or something. Yeah, yeah, WrestleMania. Yeah, hey, that's Michael Shannon. I wouldn't have gotten that. I I, I kind of saw it a little bit in him, but I'm like, nah, nah. Michael Shannon, like Michael Shannon, looks a little bit more gruff in his face. You know what I mean? Like he always has that stern look when you see him in certain in certain roles. But I'm like, oh man, that's Michael Shannon. You know? Yeah. Hmm. Um. 
Yeah, man. Uh, this is a pretty great movie. A little backstory to this. So the reason this was the final collaboration between Bill Murray and Harold Ramis, rest in peace, you know, they, they clashed a lot on this film. Harold Ramis wanted to focus more on the comedy of the film. Bill Murray wanted to focus more on the philosophical, the philosophical, philosophical, philosophical um, elements behind the script, you know, because that's how the original draft was. It was kind of a dark drama. Um, It wasn't really a comedy until Harold Ramis helped the writer, the original screenwriter, like punch up the comedy a little bit. And they really clashed and it was kind of like their final film collaboration. So it looks like this film was kind of like the birth of like Bill Murray transitioning into like dramedy slash dramatic acting. Like the Bill Murray we see now in Sofia Coppola and Wes Anderson films. I feel like this film was like the start of that. Right. I could see that where because, yeah. yeah, he did really get out of doing like the family comedy kind of movies right, after right. this movie. Uh, I want to say he was still in something else afterwards, but it must have been a different writer, director kind of working on that one. Yeah, I'm sure he I'm sure he did a lot of things. Um, here's the thing. Like the, the thing about this comedy is that it grows on you as you watch it. If you give yourself to it and stay on this wavelength to see where it's going, it, you 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 fall in love with it. You slowly fall in love with it. Oh, like, yeah. This is I haven't seen this movie in years since I was like a teenager. So when I was walking into it today, I was like, okay, this is one of those ones where it kind of takes its time to get to the point. And it kind of does in the beginning, but it's like I, I stayed with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, and it, it just, does kind of meander a little bit. It doesn't get yeah. straight to a plot point. Um, it, it's one of those movies that kind of just shows you somebody going through turmoil and kind of coming to accept it and kind of trying to make the best of what they consider the worst possible situation. Right, right. But it's not – it was an anomaly for a comedy back in those days to be just straight hilarity beginning to end. Like, perfect example – and it's, you know, John Hughes is kind of an anomaly within himself, but planes, trains, and automobiles, just straight comedy the whole oh, way yeah. through. You know what I mean? There's no no frills in that, in that chemistry between Steve Martin and John Candy. And it's just straight laughs. And that movie doesn't, that movie has a pretty simple plot. There's no real intricacies to its plot. Like there's, there could be a little bit of uh, character development intricacies to this film, but yeah, you know this film. It, it takes a while to get on this wavelength, but uh, I like I like that I put time into it, and yeah, I, I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, I gotta uh, say, scene by scene, this this movie is fantastic. Uh, even if you started like taking little clips out of this movie and just kind of watching those, uh, there's so many great moments in this film. Just kind of seeing him go through this day to day life, like learning how to play piano. Uh, like slowly every time he goes and this is really your first lesson. Yeah. Well, my dad was a piano mover, so, you know, who runs in the family and just little kind of jokes like that, that just, it, they make the movie. I love how Ned Wyerson pops up at the end, um, where everyone kind of has that Dorothy moment. Like he helped me with this. He helped me with this. Oh, oh yeah. thank you so much for this. And he kind of comes up like, oh, this guy bought flood insurance, life insurance, uh, wind insurance for me. All insurance, kind of insurance. insurance. <laughs> and then he says, uh, hey, you two love birds. Where are we going tonight? Uh, let's not spoil it. He's like, ah, I caught that one. 
you know, because he's he's a guy that doesn't really catch on to like you know, I guess like like uh, what do you call it? Uh, cues. Not people skills. Yeah, cues. So he's like, oh, I caught that joke. Yeah, I just thought that was great. It, I, I do love that at the end of this movie when he goes to the following day. Um, I, I assume that he's gone through with the bank robbery to get all this money that he was spending throughout the entire day as well. <laughs> so I love that just out there, he just stole money and then proceeded to buy every kind of insurance imaginable <laughs> that he has to deal with in the following day. Because that part of this is him going, it, it doesn't matter. You know, I can make these people's day and I'm just going to reset the next day. Uh, now he has right. to deal with kind of the pseudo consequences of everything that he's done. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't even think of that. But my thing is, well, I answered my own question. Never mind. Well, I, I guess if that's about it, I get us a strong four. Uh, this one, it's a five out of five contender for me. Uh, I've mm. loved this movie every single time I've watched it. It it continually gives me laughs every time that I see it. I don't even know how many times I've seen this movie now. It's got to be somewhere in like the 30s, possibly 40s. It's, uh, okay. I I put this in the category of I'll give it about like two more rewatches in my life. I might, I might, I might catch up to you there. Yeah, I think I've only seen this film like three to three to four times in my life. Oh yeah, I've I've seen it a lot. Uh, so yeah, for most when I put this on the list to rewatch this one, I was like, yeah, let me just add in this movie that I probably watch about once a year anyway, and that'll <laughs> make this a really easy episode. Right, right, got you. All right, man. Moving on. We got uh, Mark. We got Max Barbacow's director uh, directorial debut, Palm Springs. You know, with our man Lonely Island, Andy Samberg, uh, Kristen Meloti, and J.K. Simmons. Um, you know, among other stars. So, yeah. So uh, I'll let you take the lead. So this one fi- follows the story of Niles, who is in a time loop, played by Andy Samberg, and he is attending a wedding and. This wedding is in Texas, I want to say, because it's in the middle of the desert. I know they mentioned that Roy is in Irving, Texas. I can't remember if they say where the wedding itself is taking place. Um, Well, let's just see where Palm Springs is. California. Oh, in California. Okay. But, uh, so. (laughs) Texas, you were way off. I was way off. Well, I mostly was basing that off of the fact that they said that uh, that Roy's character is in Irving, Texas, and he drives to the wedding on the day of the wedding because he wakes up at home every day. So uh, with Niles in this time loop, he gets into this time loop by going into this weird cave with this glow in it, and whenever he dies, whenever he falls asleep, it always resets to the morning of November 9th. So no matter what he does, uh, he always just continually wakes up. Eventually, he does take this other person in named Roy that he has a fantastic day with, uh, doing drugs and uh, stealing from people and kind of just wandering about the desert. <laughs> Dude, when I first saw this film, I initially thought there was going to be a twist. They're like, oh, that's the older him. But then I knew I realized I was kind of like overthinking myself. I said, no, no, that's just a great old guy that he hung out with. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I love that uh, very quickly. He even mentions that like he met Roy very early when he was trying to get into the time loop thing. And he was already yeah. kind of like done with the time loop by that point because Roy mentions, oh, yeah, the uh, best man has uh, some, you know, cocaine in his uh, jacket pocket. I've been trying to get it from him all day, but he's just not budging. And mm-hmm. Niles just walks right up to him, just rummaging through his pockets, right. and then just Skip pulls it out and goes, hey, I got it. You were right. <laughs> so he already yeah. was playing by the rules of nothing matters at this point. And I think that's one of the downsides of this movie is it there's no real redeeming moment for any of the characters like you have with uh, Bill Murray's character in Groundhog's Day. Because they're kind of just always living like nothing matters. You know, I would really say this is the dark Groundhog's Day. And that's what kind of why I like it. Um, it was my this, this was my first time seeing this film for this episode. Okay. I know you, you, you had been recommending it to me a lot. And it had always been on my watch list. So with this film, I want to say, um, you know, when it starts off, uh, I was... I was kind of a little hesitant of it. I'm like, okay, is this raunchy? Is this dark? Is it both? You know, where where is this film really going? And you know, I discovered that it's both. But I, there there is a there is a little bit of lonely islandness to this film, where it's very like absurd in some scenes. But yeah. the absurdity works because Andy Samberg is in the lead and he plays absurdity well. And, you know, Kristen Melody, who was great in this film, you know, they both have just great chemistry. Um, oh, I also wanted to comment on Groundhog Day. I didn't even think I I don't think I gave Andy enough flowers like her chemistry with Bill Murray was great in that movie. Just to comment on that. It, it was very good toward the end, uh, up in like toward the beginning of that movie. It does come off as a little bit rapey because he's literally making a checklist to like try and create the perfect day to you know, be able to sleep with her? I don't think it's rapey. I just think it's just like manipulation that failed. Yeah, it's it's very <laughs> highly manipulative at the very least. Uh, there, there's really no chemistry there. He's basically faking the entire day in order to, you know, <laughs> get her in bed. Right. Uh, you could argue about the redeem. Uh, you could argue about the redemption, though. I think they redeem themselves as far as like redeeming themselves to other people that is questionable. You know, you see through different time loops that Sarah, she tells her sister about the secret she has that, you know, she she was secretly sleeping with her soon-to-be husband. In one time loop after another, she tells her. And, you know, I love how the film builds up to revealing that, too. Like, that was some very smart writing. Like, this this film is very cleverly written. Oh, yeah. I love it, man. It's a very clever script. Uh, I believe... Uh, Andy Sierra wrote it. Um, but uh, w- w- what I mean to say is I think they redeemed themselves. As far as like redeeming themselves outwardly, yeah, you're right. Th- these are not likable characters. But like again, this is a, this is a film where it's okay to not have likable characters. You know what I mean? Like I feel like we did an episode not too long ago where there was unlikable characters. And I said, but that's okay because the movie's good. Right. Like, this is a very good movie, but the characters, yeah, yeah, they don't have that, like, same redeeming moment that uh, Bill Murray's character has, where he's literally learned everything there is to know about everybody. He tries to make everybody's day is, you know, the best possible day, and then he eventually breaks free. Uh, In this movie, 
uh, you have Niles and Sarah kind of continuing to gun- just do their own thing uh, up until the point where, so backtracking a little bit, Niles does eventually end up getting Sarah trapped into the time loop, uh, not on purpose like he did with uh, Roy, but she does follow him. It wasn't even on purpose with Roy. He told Roy, like, like, hey, don't don't go in there. Like, um, they were both high, of course. Oh, yeah. But, you know, Roy decided to do it. He told Sarah, hey, don't don't chase after me. I'm when he was running away from Roy and, you know, she went after him. He t- he told them not to do it. He does actually tell Roy to go in. He says, you know, all the answers to everything you want to know is in this cave. And then it's after Roy starts going that. in that he goes, wait, no. It's and then he passes out and then they're both stuck in the time loop. Gotcha. Okay, you're right. You're right. Okay, my bad on that one. So um, he he does push him in more or less, but he does kind of realize it like at the last second, but it's already too late by then. But gotcha. with uh, Sarah, he explicitly tells her, "Do not follow me in here and everything." And he's going in there just to reset time so he can wake up again because. Uh, he had like an arrow stuck in his back and in his leg because Roy was hunting him down because Roy does not like being stuck in the time loop <laughs> at all. Right. Roy, Roy has tortured this man, uh, lit him on fire, murdered him over and over again. And I love well, I think Roy has redemption. Roy has a lot of redemption. Roy you, has you some could, great redemption. You, you could you could chalk this up to J.K. Simmons acting, but I love that scene where towards the end when Niles and Sarah fall out because he revealed to Sarah that, hey, we, you and I actually have slept together before when I've done this time loop thing. I just didn't tell you, you know, she kind of just, you know, she she uh, she kind of just breaks down and just like runs away from him to get run over. And, you know, time restarts. We see Roy as a family man with his two kids, his wife kind of realizing that you know even though he doesn't like being in a time loop he gets to stay in this one moment of his kids never growing up just stuck on a perfect day you know i think he mentions later on his his daughter like makes this amateur drawing of all of them she turned him into a bear a cuddly bear it's just it was a perfect day for him yeah yeah he has his wife in her prime you know he has two beautiful twins and he gets to spend the day with them and everything like that and because it's like a weekend or something like that he has no worries about anything he gets to just kind of live his day with his family over and over and it does get repetitive and it does suck because he'll never be able to see his family grow up or his kids grow up he'll never be able to you know watch them move out of the house he'll never be able to experience a day outside of that day but he's taking mm-hmm. the best of what he can get here. And it was after the situation where he was in, I think, like the ICU, he says, for like three days because they wouldn't let him sleep because they were afraid that he would fall into a coma. So he was right, literally yeah. stuck like in the ICU for several days, which Andy Samberg's character, uh, Niles, mentions earlier in the film. You know, the worst thing is being stuck in the ICU. So make sure if you're going to kill yourself that you get it done Do it quickly. All the way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, do it all the way, which is oh, that's horrible. That's got to be horrible tur- torture, man. Yeah, to, to, be to finally be knowing that it's gonna reset as soon as you fall asleep, and knowing that they won't let you fall asleep because they're afraid that you're gonna fall into a coat. Like it's oh yeah, right. But right. after that, he kind of realizes the pain that he was putting um, 
Niles through because he kind of saw it all as a time loop. It was all fake to him. You know, he didn't realize that Niles was going through real pain and everything. He was just trying to take out his anger on Niles for literally trapping him in this time loop. Yeah, yeah. That's a great that's a great one off uh, scene in the film. I want to I want to backtrack a little bit. I love the montages of like Niles and Sarah having fun once they've kind of like. Well, Niles already knows the reality. He knows the reality he's stuck in. Uh, Sarah is kind of just um, getting used to this, and now he's no longer alone. Yes, he has a friend. He has a friend now who's doing all this stuff with him now. I love how I love that one scene when they go in the bar, and they're they're dressed like some characters out of an '80s film. She goes up to one guy's ponytail and just does like this, just ruffles his hair, and then they do this they do they do this little dance routine. Oh yeah. <laughs> They do this little dance routine and they get kicked out of the bar. That scene made me laugh, man. Yeah, I also love uh, showing some of the previous times that uh, Niles was going through the wedding and everything and explaining like, oh, yeah, it basically turned into a game of seeing like who I could end up sleeping with. And he just goes through the list of I managed to go through this person, this person, everything and uh, goes, oh, and your dad, I'm kidding. And it kind of like leaves the implication of that he probably tried. (laughs) He probably tried, but I'm, I'm sure the dad turned him down. Right. Uh, I, I love how when um, one of the guys who works there at the uh, reception, um, you know, um, uh, who uh, when, when, the, the, the homosexual guy, he says to him in the pool in the beginning of the film, like, uh, he says, oh, I'm doing all right. We'll see how I am by the end of the night. And Andy says, ah, maybe not tonight, man. Maybe not tonight. Yeah. And, you know, like. The way he knew, and I love how that sets up the gag later when he's talking about the people he slept with, and um, they're showing that montage. I felt like that was that was great. All the beats hit right in this film, man. The comedy, the drama hits right. I, I agree with you that there's not a lot of redemption, a lot, not a lot of outwardly redemption with these characters, but I feel like they know who they are. Right, like that wasn't a goal of this movie to have these people be redeemed at the end, uh, but right. I do think that the point that this movie like goes a bar above uh groundhog's day is because you have more than one person stuck in the time loop so you Mm. get to have that banter between two people that are kind of stuck in this situation together kind of dealing it with it together and everything like that which is something that with all the times i've seen groundhog's day i didn't realize i wanted to see what bill murray would do if he had an accomplice kind of stuck in the time loop with him mm-hmm. and we get to see then this movie with niles and sarah kind of being stuck in this time loop together um i do also love that both of them are stuck in like uh the wake up of like a terrible moment with uh sarah being you know waking up uh after having an affair with her sister's soon-to-be husband Mm-hmm. And then with Niles waking up with his girlfriend who he knows is going to cheat on him by the end of the night. So yeah. literally, I do love that uh, there was the one time where Sarah like burst into the room in the morning. And uh, I, I think it was Misty is her name for Niles' girlfriend. And yeah. she goes, are you cheating on me? And Niles just goes, no, you're cheating on me, goofball. And then he just gets up and <laughs> leaves. And she's just like, and then- what? <laughs> And then later, uh, when um, he kind of like mocks every surprise reaction by her, like like word for word, like oh moment yeah, for moment, like he just she says, stop mocking me, and they, they, he keeps mocking her, and, <laughs> and then he just gets up and leaves again. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's basically, what? No, stop copying me. No, seriously, stop copying me. Ah! Okay, I'm going to go now. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Andy Samberg just plays that like nonchalant, non-caring person just perfectly for this kind of dark humor. It's great, man. Uh, he's, he's great comedic timing oh, in every yeah. film I see him in. He like, is um, so good. I've been meaning to get into him a little bit more. Um, I, I like you got me in the pop star. Never stop popping. Uh, no, never stop. Never stopping. Got to get that right. I I need to see Hot Rod, which I hear is funny. Oh, we need to add that to the list. I didn't realize you've never seen Hot Rod. Never seen Hot Rod. Never seen Brooklyn Nine Nine. I heard that's funny too. Uh, I am familiar with Lonely Island's music. I know their first two albums very well. A little too well, very well. Which one? Um, was, that was Incredibad and We're Back. Uh, no, 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 no. Incredibad and in, in, uh, Turtle Neck and Chain. Chain. Yeah. Yes, Turtle Neck and Chain, boy. Uh, what do you say with the uh, Turtle Neck and Chain with with the with the very light beard? What do you say? Uh, Is that the song? Very light beard. Very light beard. Oh, okay. I thought it was very light. Sipping on some light beard. That's what oh, is said. it sipping on some? Okay. It's been yeah. a while since I've heard that song, but yeah. Those are classic albums, man. And listen, I'm a hip-hop purist, and that is that is comedy hip-hop at its finest. Oh, 100%. Yeah. There was a but, reason uh, that SNL hired them literally just to do the digital shorts in SNL. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but, you know, I, I digress a little bit. Yeah, man, I really like this film uh, when when it ended. And, of course, you know, um, I love I love the time jumps that this film does, like when it travels from one character's perspective to another character's perspective. Like I, like I said, this is a very smartly written film. Uh, I love how when we finally catch up with Sarah and where she's been and she's been missing and Niles hasn't seen her every day, he uh, restarts. She's been out trying to figure out how to how to work this out. So she gets into quantum physics, you know, general relativity. And it comes to the point where, you know, she uh, watches some what those Skillshare videos. Uh, they were. No, she was looking up uh, quantum physics free online on the Google search and everything. So she was just watching like okay. YouTube videos of like uh, professors classes and stuff like that. And I remember she actually gets on like a Skype call with one of the professors in the videos that she's watching. And she's like, well, what if, you know, da, 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 smart sciencey stuff that I don't remember exactly. Yeah, I don't and, remember either. Yeah. And it's like, well, it seems like you don't need my help. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it was kind of like the piano teacher thing from Groundhog Day. He was like, right. oh, are you sure you, you're new at this? You know, yeah. Um, yeah, so basically she's finding out how to end this whole thing. Um, and I like that they went the science route. Again, a very another shrewd thing because yeah. it doesn't – go ahead. They, they kind of do explain the time loop in this one. Like Groundhog's Day doesn't explain it at all. It's just kind of he ends up getting stuck in the time loop and then he tale. breaks it. Yeah. It's, a, it's an existential fairy tale. This film is not that. This film goes off the science. Yeah, it it kind of goes, there is a temporal anomaly that they have been trapped in. Uh, There's even like the moment where they see dinosaurs walking across the desert, uh, Mm -hmm. which is kind of alluding to the fact that this is like a time kind of anomaly of some sort. Uh, And you do see the dinosaurs again at the end. Too. Yeah, I, I you see them far away, and I I guess I wasn't really paying attention to that scene. I thought they were just high out their minds, but I guess it is kind of like a time anomaly thing. Now that you mention it, 
Yeah. So they, they do kind of explain it. And then I love how her explanation of uh, what they're in is they're in a loop in a box. And what they got to do is they have like a 3.5 second, you know, time limit to kill themselves in the loop to get out of the box. And mm-hmm. it, they use C4 to do it. And I love how she tests it on a goat <laughs> first. <laughs> right, right. You're going to do great. You're going to do great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I wonder where did they uh, where did they get the C4 from? I, they have an entire day. She probably learned how to make it or she found a place that sells it somewhere. And okay. keep in mind, it, she had the entire time to plan out how to get the money, how to buy it, how to do everything like that because – it, they don't show exactly how long has passed. We just kind of know that it's been long enough for her to learn quantum physics, which I'm pretty sure is like a four year kind of master's degree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's not counting like everything for the associate bachelors and prior to. So it, they, they've been stuck in this time loop for a little bit. I don't think anybody's done the calculations to see how long on this one, but uh, she definitely had plenty of time and if she can learn quantum physics she could probably figure out how to make c4 <laughs> let's be honest here <laughs> yeah yeah i love how this film parallels groundhog day in so many ways when you really think about it like you know how bill murray kept calling the old man pop um, oh yeah you know, like i love how in this film last minute when he's trying to find uh sarah niles walks up to my man who show, who, who was showing him how to shoot guns he's like look man uh, you got a one night stand with this chick about twenty years ago in the bathroom. Um, she's my mom. I'm your son. Just comes up and hugs him like I've always known. Yeah. <laughs> Says, uh, he's like, I need a ride. Can you take me to this place? <laughs> I just love how that that fits in so like so perfectly. Oh yeah. I also do love that there is like the little because uh, after he has that like heart to heart with Roy, he. Roy tells him, you know, I, I think it's best if we don't see each other anymore and kind of just live this thing our own ways. Right. And it, you kind of see like a little mid-season kind of thing where uh, after they've done the plan and gotten out of the time loop, uh, Roy comes back to the wedding. Mid-credits. And, yeah, mid-credits. Uh, right. Comes back to the wedding and like approaches Niles and goes, you know, hey, I got the voicemail from your crazy girlfriend last night. Do you think that plan would actually work? And Niles just does not recognize him because they've been thrown out of the time loop. They're no longer a part of that uh, loop that Roy is still in. Right. I Yeah. I was so happy when I heard of that scene. I didn't... Dude, I got to stay through the credits uh, some more, man, because I, I miss a lot of things, dude. I missed the end credit scene for the uh, Green Knight. I missed this scene. So if I didn't go on Wikipedia and find out about that, I would have been mad. Like, they didn't tell Roy? Like, they, yeah. they, didn't, they didn't tell Roy about the plan? That's a pretty crappy thing to do. Especially but since I'm, he was, like, he had a nice redemption arc, too, with kind of right. like being like, oh, I just want to be able to see my kids grow up. But, I mean, I'm okay with this, too. But, yeah, I love that they did tell Roy, and he gets that smile of, you know, actually, uh, I'm going to need a lot of alcohol. Uh, probably prepping for the fact that he has to figure out how to blow himself up inside <laughs> the time loop. I'm sure he'll figure out a way. I mean, the dude figured out how to, like, 
he must be a police officer of some kind because he had a police uh, truck or at the very least he stole it. So he probably knows how to steal from the police to get something from like their lockup evidence. He stole it, man. I, I think he stole it. I don't think he's a cop. I mean, yeah. he was highly trained in a lot of, you know, different things. Well, so, how long was he? How long was he in this loop? You know what I'm saying? Uh, well, this was early on. Andy Samberg's character, Niles, goes through all the ways that he was tortured by him. It's all like very military tactics. Again, you have time to study that stuff, right? True, I guess. Yeah. Let's not go off semantics because then we'll start, you know, putting ourselves in a time loop. <laughs> uh, no, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, you got anything else to uh, say about this? I think Peter Gallagher was good as the, um, as the father. He, he didn't get too many lines, but it's always nice to see him. Yeah. I, I, I think that everybody was obviously they weren't the major focus of the movie but i think everybody like fell into their roles pretty well in this one i don't think anything was miscast i think randy was weird connor connor o'malley's character um one of the groomsmen who always had like the most awkward lines like oh uh, the the one that like freaks out during the earthquake and stuff like that that guy yeah he was kind of like he was I, I understand his comedic value, but he was just like so out of place. I was like, he belongs to another movie. Uh, I, I could see it in this one because he was literally just one of the groomsmen. He was just the like childhood friend of the groom that was kind of there at the wedding. Gotcha. Gotcha. Fair enough. I give this one. I want to say light 4.5. Because I love the innovation behind it. I love how it's paying homage to Groundhog Day, but also has its own dark spin on it. And it's very, very cleverly written. Yes. Uh, this one's 4.5 for me as well. It's I haven't seen it as much as Groundhog's Day by far. Uh, I th- wanted to say this is maybe the th- fourth time I've seen it. Fourth or fifth. Oh, wow. So... I would I would take I would put this in the one watch club to be honest, but it was a great one watch club. It was a oh, great. I've seen it with different watch. people. That's one thing of gotcha. like sitting down and you know being like, oh, you gotta watch this, and uh, doing like when the watch parties were kind of a thing, and this was one of the movies that came out on Hulu streaming, so it was an easy one to do a watch party with people. So that's one of the reasons I've seen it's it a, a couple party. times. Where everybody kind of just starts the stream at the same time and watches a movie together. Now, do you have like an audio channel where everybody can kind of like do a mystery science theater thing where you hear people talking and laughing or you just you got y'all just watch it at the same time? No, there's kind of like a little room that you create to do it. It's one of the things I can't remember if it was directly through Hulu or if it was through a third party application. The VR thing? Not the VR VR thing. Okay. No, this is just kind of like, basically think of it as like a Discord room that like plays the movie on a stream. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That sounds cool. Sounds like a fun thing to do, Uh, especially during it in times of COVID. All right, man. I I guess I know what you're about to say, but I got to give Palm the edge. If we're doing the verses, I got to give Palm the edge. For me, it's very hard for me to say that Groundhog's Day is better, but given how many times I've seen Groundhog's Day and everything like that, 
I, it means I, something to you. It, it does. That one is yeah. a cherished movie that it's going to take a lot to topple. But that said, Palm Springs is the movie that kind of like goes right up to that edge. And it's like, ah, that it, it might topple that over someday. Yeah, it's like when people uh, debate Joaquin Phoenix's Joker versus Heath Ledger's and they say, man, Ledger is the king, but Phoenix is right, right there. We just need to see a little bit more of Phoenix, you know, playing like an actual villain Joker instead of like a sympathetic Joker and he might have it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, people make that excuse too, but that's kind of breaking the rules a bit because Heath Ledger didn't get another chance, unfortunately, rest in peace, but... Okay, uh, yeah, I, I hear that argument too. Yeah, but yeah, kind of the same thing with this one. Uh, all right, man. So what you been watching lately? You know, I'm gonna go see Shang Chi. My birthday's coming up. Yeah, I'm waiting to for you to see that movie so we can talk about it. <laughs> I'm seeing it uh, this upcoming Wednesday. Okay. Yeah, I got I got the day off, so the Mrs. and I are gonna get a haircut, and I'm gonna. Head up to AMC. I hope a lot of people aren't there. It's a Wednesday. I hope a lot of people aren't there. If you're going like midday, you should be perfectly fine. But at the same time, I can only speak for Metro Detroit area. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I'm in North Carolina where people don't care about masks down here, dude. Uh, It's almost a little scary. Well, they do in the grocery marts because stores are starting to come back and saying, hey, whether you're vaccinated or not, you got to you got to mask up. So indoors, they care uh, in theaters. You know, like I told you, I, I think I told you I went to go see Candyman. I was sitting next to a guy and, you know, the whole time I was kind of leaned over a little bit because, you know, when I first got vaccinated, I kind of felt like the chosen one walked around <laughs> with no mask, just smiling. And then, you know, this Delta came out of nowhere. And now I kind of the apprehension kind of came back. The, 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 the carefulness came back. Right, right. Yeah, I gotta say that uh, movie theaters still haven't picked up here to that degree in uh, Michigan. I can still go see a movie and it'd still be pretty empty for a theater. I don't know if that's because people just really haven't gone to see movies yet or if it's just, you know, the standard kind of... If it was an opening weekend, you could pretty much find a dead theater here in Michigan any day. Dude, what a time to be alive, man. I think people in Michigan are just staying away from the whole thing because it's like when you look at the window between theatrical release and streaming on demand, it's like 30 to 45 days. Yeah. Like that's crazy compared to what we used to have, which was like, what, five months, six months at at most? It it usually would be about six or seven months until we got like a DVD Blu-ray release. And then it was another like three months over that before we got anything on streaming. You mean cable? Uh, either cable or streaming, anything. Okay, because I, cause I know for a while, if it was on DVD and Blu-ray, it was on streaming. Some oh, people yeah, were it was on like video on demand, but I'm thinking like being the free movie on Disney Plus oh, right, or like right, Netflix right. Gotcha. or something like that. Yeah, man, like the window has like closed like all the way, 30 to 45 days like, I think I saw Candyman, like, I think we saw Candyman, like, three weeks ago, and now all of a sudden it's on On Demand. Is it on On Demand already? Yes. Jeez. Yeah, that was fast. Well, I can kind of see it for that one, though. 
Yeah. They, they wanted to make sure that that one released on demand before Halloween. This seems a little early still, but I knew that when they put that release date where they did, it was like, okay, that's so it can start hitting streaming in October for uh, Halloween. I don't know, man. There's a few more of them out on um, out on on demand now. That's uh, it seems like it's um, like it's soon, but it's really not, dude. Like, hold on, let me see. So you got Candyman, you got Black. The Suicide Squad is already on on demand. I mean, that one launched on uh, HBO Max. But I'm talking about for like people who rent movies from Prime Video or Apple. Oh, I got you. Gotcha. I mean, like. Who don't have HBO Max or might just want to own Suicide Squad? See, you know I guess I mean? that one is odd that it's already there because I thought that HBO was keeping those as uh, exclusives for sixty days, and I don't think it's been sixty days. Yeah, yeah, and then you got um, F Nine, the Fast Saga. You got Black Widow is available. Like the 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 delivery windows have really shortened man like i said if i was in high school when all this was going down i don't know if i'd be able to focus on my work man oh because like, movies are coming out that you could easily watch at home so easily movies movies after movies man and i want to see i was going to see halloween kills in theaters because you know i like michael myers it was a classic uh, horror pastime of mine then i found out it's streaming same day on peacock i'm like I'm not gonna trek all the way to AMC to watch something I can watch at home. Like, I'm. But are I'm you gonna, gonna sign that. up for Peacock? That it seems easier to just go to a movie theater at that point. Well, that's where you got to bring the ski mask out and you know figure some <laughs> things out. You know what I'm saying? Allegedly. But um, I mean, look, isn't isn't Peacock free though? Uh, I think ads? so, but I don't. It still has no interest to me. I think we've talked about this one before. Look, if I gotta get a free subscription, I will. I don't care. Um, I'm not. I'm not like like I said about the office thing, man. You know, I think you said this every time they said, "Hey, you get some unseen office deleted scenes." I guess I won't be seeing those deleted scenes. You know, what I'm saying? until they pop like, up on YouTube. I guess those are going to continue to be scenes I've never seen before. Which they eventually did, by the way. Oh yeah, of course Popped they up did on YouTube. Yeah, man. Uh, Peacock doesn't sell me. But um, my thing is I'm trying to limit my – what do you call it? I'm trying to limit my – Streaming service catalog? No, I'm trying to limit my carpooling to AMC. There's a Regal Theater walking distance within me, but I don't have the Regal membership. And I got to wait until Tuesdays where tickets are half off because tickets on a normal day are torture. I'm not paying I'm not paying $18 to see one movie, dude. Oh, gee. I – I don't even remember what movie theaters cost anymore because it's, we had Movie Pass for the longest time, and then after movie that Pass. we got A List. Yeah, like I, I, I love my A List, and even without my A List, regular movie prices are solid. You know what I mean? And plus, when you when you buy enough things, you get the five dollar rewards and stuff like that. So I'm okay with paying for my wife's ticket with A List. You know, you don't get you get the convenience fee waived and all that. All of that is great. Um, with Regal, I think they got like the same kind of plan, but it's a bit more, a bit more complicated. Where it's like, oh, you can see any movie you want, but it has to be at these times, or it has mm-hmm. to be, you know, um, at this. It ha- this type of theater has to like approve of it. I'm like, okay, these are way too many intricacies and all that, dude. Did I tell you when I moved down here, you know, AMC A list added tax. 
Uh, I think they did that up here as well. How much is yours now? Uh, I want to say mine is like twenty one twenty a month now. Okay, okay. Now I'm not alone. Mine's twenty one forty. All right. I wanted to make sure I wasn't alone. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty oh. sure they did that. That was like a post-pandemic kind of change. I know um, because I'm an investor, I was interested in seeing that Cop Shop movie early. I know that window was passed because it's in theaters now, but that actually looks pretty good, man. The Cop Shop movie with uh, Gerard Butler and Frank Grillo. Yeah, I saw the notice. I got like an email about that going, hey, you you know, you can come see this movie for a pre-screening uh, limited to only AMC investors. And I was like, eh, I don't have they, enough want to go see this movie right now. They always choose the ones we're not really interested in. Like, they, like I remember the first time I saw something about the Investors Connect, I heard about Escape Room 2. I'm like, I'm not going to see Escape Room 2. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not going. That's, I'm not, that's a TBS movie, dude. I'm not going to see that. You right. know what I mean? I'm not going to waste my A-list ticket on that. I never even saw the first one. Um, it's never really a film you want to see. Like, I'm not a James Bond fan, but I would see Investor Connect, No Time to Die. I'd be like, okay, that's solid. I'll, right. I'll see that early. Um, but, yeah, I feel like the whole thing about trekking out to the AMC, that's like not not too far away from me, but, you know, some little bit of miles. Uh there's two absolute untouchables that I'm I'm seeing in theaters. I'm not even gonna go walk to the Regal. I'm seeing them in AMC, dude. Uh, Dune and Sopranos. That's just untouchable. Matrix yeah. Four. And beyond that, it's kind of like up in the air. Well, Venom. My wife really wants to see Venom, so I'll take her to see it. And Are I think you're gonna go that, see that one when it uh, releases October first. Now, I think it's the first. Yeah, yeah, we'll go sometime around that time. Okay, well, we gotta delegate a bit because I don't like being around people. I've become that guy, man. The pandemic <laughs> turned me into that guy. Like, I mean, I've always been a little, little introverted, which is fine. But it's like now, I don't like being around people it, that are careless. Now you had an excuse for it for a right. year and a half. It's hard to go back to that, you know, previous life where it was kind of a little touch and go. Right, definitely. But I feel like if there's a film that's coming out in a week and I don't go see it, I don't have to wait long for it to pop up on On Demand. Like, I wanted to see that uh, independent dramedy with uh, Jason McAvoy. That's not his first name. James McAvoy and Sharon McAvoy? Horgan. McAvoy and Sharon, Sharon Horgan caught uh, together. It looks like a pretty nice British dramedy about this couple who hates each other that's stuck together in the in the pandemic. I can go see that. I could watch that on on demand if I don't see that in theaters, and it's available now. And on demand, uh, our man Nick Cage has a new independent film out, and it's uh it's kind of it's kind of crazy. Like this, like this is like this is like kind of crazy. Is Nick this jujitsu crazy or? No, this is legit crazy. Well, they say Nick Cage isn't pushed crazy enough in the film, but the film is crazy enough on its own that it's a solid movie. Uh, I think it's called Prisoners of the Ghostland or something. They, 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 it's not jujitsu. It's it's not it's not bad from what I'm hearing. Okay, so it's you know? actually a good Nick Cage movie. 
Eh, it depends because some people say like, <laughs> oh, it's kind of bizarre and crazy, but it's like it's solid. Like it's like I, I can't believe it's gone to this point. It's like yeah, it's your average crazy Nick Cage movie. Oh, OK, I got gotcha. you. Like, like where it's got an average now. Like yeah, it's an average crazy Nick Cage movie. <laughs> You know. It's a it's another Nick Cage movie. Just go it see be, it. You know you want to. It meet, it meets the quota. You know what I mean, uh, dude? Have you seen Pig yet? I haven't. It's still on my watch list. I I need to watch it. Yeah, I feel like when Nick Cage brings in a great performance, like a great serious dramatic performance, it's for us at a double feature, man. It's um, yeah, man. It's uh, it's it's priority, dude, over anything else. We, oh, yeah. we dedicated our first episode to this man. <laughs> and many more probably to come at some point. We, we've done plenty of Nick Cage movies since then as well. Dude, I just saw an interview where he said, like, man, I, I can't I can't imagine quitting acting. Like, it, you know, acting saved my life. So, of course, we're going to be doing many more. This man is in it for the long haul. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you yeah. Gotta, you gotta, yeah, you got to appreciate the cages, though, man. Uh, because it's the Nick Cages that always bring in, even if the film is bad, they're always good. You know, you got to appreciate them because they do it for the for the art. I used to say he's doing it to pay taxes, to pay off his debts, <laughs> but he, he really loves acting. He does. He's definitely in it for the long haul, especially when it comes to, like, family movies. He absolutely loves doing that. What are your untouchables for this year, man? Uh, as we're closing out this year, that you want to go see, bro? Oh, Spider Man is an untouchable. Uh, I'm gonna head to the theaters to see that. Yeah. Spider Man for sure. Uh, Kingsman, I'm still really excited for. Uh, that's the Kingsman prequel. Yeah, I know what it is. I never saw those. Uh, they're really good. I enjoyed them. Uh, so I'm definitely gonna see that. Dune is on the list. Uh, Venom two is on the list. Uh, Eternals is touch and go. I if I get a like good seat at the theater and stuff like that, and I have nothing going on that weekend. Maybe I'll see that one in theaters. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's one. That's one of the ones where you're like, if you step outside the door and the weather feels off to you, you're like, yeah, I'll wait for it to come on Disney Plus. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it. Yeah, you like know, if I, on my way, you know, out the door, there's a gust of wind. I might just go, yeah, not today. Today's not the kind of day to go see a movie. I'm going to see it because it's Marvel. Like I told you, I wasn't in a rush to see Shang-Chi, but I was going to see it. I'm going to see it in a few days. But, you know, I'm kind of like, eh, I'm, I'm not in a rush. If people say that the latest trailer kind of hyped them up a little bit because it showed some of the action in it. But I don't know. I'm not that hyped for Eternals. Yeah, I gotta say, like, Shang-Chi, I was hyped for for multiple reasons. I was gonna go see that movie regardless. Uh, Eternals, I I don't have any connection to that. I've never read the Eternals comics. Uh, I don't really know their storyline, their villain, their heroes, or anything like that. All I know is the stuff from the trailers. And then we have Spider-Man coming, and I love everything Spider-Man, so of course I'm gonna go see that. And Venom, same thing. Love it. Gonna see it, of course. What do you think about Disney saying, you know, after the numbers that Shane Chi pulled in, they're like, all right, no more simultaneous uh, screenings. Uh, no more Disney Plus simultaneous uh, screenings. You gotta go to the theater or, and wait. I mean, what else do they have coming? They got Eternals. They got uh, 
Spider-Man is technically Sony, but... Spider-Man's they, Sony. It wouldn't have shown up on Disney Plus anyway. Don't they own it? They, they, uh, they, what? No, they, it's completely Sony. It's just a part of like their Sony Marvel agreed. Cinematic. Yeah, Sony agreed to let the film stream on Disney Plus after a certain amount of time, right? Yes. Okay. But they're well, like Homecoming, uh, Far From Home, and then No Way Home, the new one. They're still all Sony movies. Same with Venom, Venom 2, uh, the upcoming Craven movie, which I'm super hyped for because I love Craven the Hunter. Um, it, Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, okay. it, those are all still Sony movies. Who's playing Craven? I don't remember who it is that they... An- I think it's just rumors for who's playing it right now. The I don't Rock remember who it is. Craven. Who? The Rock would be a great Craven. Uh, I with don't Craven, think so. With the Craven I saw in Spider-Man animated series, the 90s one, I'm like, okay, I can see The Rock in that role. I, I'm going to have to disagree on that one. I don't think that The Rock could play that kind of mean-hearted of a character really well we'll see how he plays as black adam before i say he wouldn't be a good craven but i don't see it that's not a casting that i could see working out too well yeah man yeah the rock he's another person that like i feel like when he first started i really i really enjoyed his movies and he's he's a superstar through and through always has charisma in his roles but he plays the same guy you know at least in, he fell into a pattern definitely at least in walking tall he played a guy that was like like badly beaten and it was kind of like a redemption like story like you know like like a like 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 a, a great redemption story the rundown he played like a bounty hunter that was stuck in a very like uh over-the-top situation scorpion king he played a self-explanatory he played a scorpion king yeah um you know he was he was he was playing these great action roles that had like some versatility to him and then i think around the time that uh gi joe retaliation came along he just he, it just he just became the rock it, it it mostly became he learned how to get on uh disney's good side and he's pretty much just been playing like the heroic role in like everything disney since well, hold on. What we got here? We got we got the two fairy. We got Jungle Cruise, and that's all I know. From Maui. Disney. Um, yeah, that's animated. That don't really don't really count. <laughs> you don't count animated. animated. Yeah, because he at least he was singing a little bit in that. He didn't have a bad voice. That don't count. Yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, he he definitely series, fell yeah. into the pattern of. It, I don't know if he would play a good Craven. I've I've seen some solid acting from him in the past, you know. But you're right; it uh, he kind of falls into the same trap of like playing the action hero guy and nothing more, nothing less. And yeah, I don't eh. want a sympathetic Craven. I want a Craven the Hunter that is brutal and breaks people's bones in order to get information he wants on who he's trying to find. I want the Craven that we have in the comics. He is one of the characters I will not like. Kind of. Uh, go down for a little bit like Venom where it's like okay I can see this movie Venom he's not exactly the comic Venom but I like this Venom Craven's gotta be like a bloodlust kind of lunatic that just cares about the hunt 
but you know that's going to happen. I know it's going to happen, and it, it disappoints me a little bit, but I'm really hoping that they just kind of get the chance to be like, you know what, let's just uh, Joaquin Phoenix Joker this and just let whoever's directing it do what they're going to do and not intervene at all, R-rated, Craven, please just let it happen. I want it so bad. Okay. Uh, you ex- hey, you a James Bond guy? Um, I enjoy the James Bond films, but I'm not, you know, crazy about them. Okay, I wanted to know if you were on this hype train about No Time to Die. This late latest trailer came out, and everybody's, like, so hype about it. I'm like, it's just James Bond, dude. Same old, same old. I'm going to watch you know, it. I'm going to enjoy it. But, yeah, I'm not, you know, counting down the days for it at, or anything like that. Okay. All right. Uh, well, I think we covered everything. It's been another great episode of Double Feature. We will see you all on the next one. Uh, take care.